As you think, you so shall become. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum. On this episode of the podcast, we have Ben Kramer. Ben is a hand fighting and martial arts expert and has worked with the high school level all the way to professional athletes, where he served as the Cincinnati Bengals head strength and conditioning coach. He is the current director of sports science at the University of Washington. Today, Ben t- takes us down a rabbit hole of hand fighting, pass rushing, and how he ties his background in martial arts and his masteries of sports science to create a holistic program for his athletes. This is a must listen to from a true master of his craft, and I hope you guys get as much out of it as I did. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we were just talking for like what 20 minutes before I was getting into I was like, man, I need to start hitting record. You're going through these rabbit holes <laughs> that I really want to talk about on the podcast. We're, we've been crushing it already. Right, right. Yeah. Sorry if I were yeah, repeat myself, but yeah, now now we're on record. We can we can get rolling. Yeah, I got some notes already. So I I'm pumped for this podcast. We I, I talk for people that don't know you. We kinda I just mentioned it, but we have this huge martial arts background and we also have this this sports science background. And it seems like those things in some sense are kind of the same because martial arts, you need to have that kind of analytical mindset of like perfecting a craft. And the Mm -hmm. same thing is in that sports science world where it's very numbers driven and data driven, but there's also that artistic side of the martial arts. And I hear you talk about Bruce Lee um, and just some of the, some of your posts that you have, it, it seems very flowy and obviously martial arts is like that too. You need to have that creative aspect and attack your opponent's weaknesses and be adaptable in that sense. Uh, what I'm trying to get at there is how did you get into both of these kind of opposite to me? It seems like opposite and maybe you can mend those two together better for me, but it seems like kind of opposite fields. How did you get into both of those opposite fields and how are you mending them together and applying them into your uh, coaching career right now? Yeah. So, you know, good question. It's, you know, it's been a unique journey um, just in, in, in the coaching realm, you know, for, for me, but, you know, I, I started out and, you know, I started Taekwondo probably when I was five or six years old. Um, that was my first martial art. I did that until it stopped being cool in middle school, hanging pop cans in my garage, watching uh, blood sport and trying to do that helicopter kick, you know, wasn't as cool anymore. So 
you know, that's when I got kind of into the team sports, uh, played football, basketball, and baseball the way, you know, middle school and high school. And after high school is when I really dove back into martial arts, um, you know, boxing, uh, judo, uh, jiu-jitsu, even a couple years of Wing Chun. Um, I was able to train a pro fighter for seven or eight years, which is a great experience. But um, really, uh, when it, before I was probably a junior in college when I started working at a company called Ignition in the private sector. And um, so the, the martial arts was always kind of a part of like my outlet. That was kind of, you know, always going to be a part of my journey regardless. Um, but then when I started at Ignition, it was uh, it had gave me just great opportunities to work with very high level athletes at a young age. For example, I think David Pollack was one of like the first pros. Him and Rudy Johnson were like some of the first pro guys I worked with. And, you know, we're about the same age. So it, it one, it kind of helped me get over that hump of that nervousness of, of one, how to talk to them, how, you know, how to coach them. That was really a lot of my first experiences was either a little high school volleyball team or a few of the Bengals. Um, as well as we would would train guys um, for the NFL Combine. So every year we'd get guys in throughout the nation coming out of college, um, trying to you know get into the NFL. So you know through the through the the martial arts and, and the hand fighting, obviously you know very granular. It's very um, you know it's it's basically the technique, right? As specific as as you can get. But I wanted you know through the training process, I'm like, well, how do I know what I'm doing is is on point, right? I've, I've read this, I've read this, I've, I've tried to understand these concepts as much as I can, because I don't want to fake anything that, that I'm talking about. If I'm going to speak on something or I'm going to coach it, I want to know every angle of it. I want to know the is and, ins and outs so I can answer those questions or I can kind of foresee whatever questions might come up. Um, but then how do I kind of continually check that? Do I just take this book's word for it? So that's when, you know, that company I was working for, I kind of proposed that like, hey, what, you know, I've heard about this technology that tracks barbell velocity. I've, I've heard about this technology that, that, that quantifies all, all the movement that we're doing on the field and um, basically got the, the green light to kind of start incorporating sports science into our training. So it really kind of happened from the inside out. So I was a coach first and then I would you know, get these different data pieces. I was always, you know, pretty good at Excel. And so I could, you know, do all kinds of stuff on that data models, all that stuff. Um, but then adding these, this uh, technology and be able to quantify what I'm coaching at the same time really kind of helped um, kind of fine tune the process, really helped kind of steer that ship or formulate a blueprint, if you, if you will. So what was helpful to me is that being on the ground level on that, that, technical and tactical side, you know, working with athletes on, you know, strength conditioning, hand fighting, speed and agility training, all right, this is how you line up for the 40-yard dash, but then being able to zoom out um, in that sports science to try to manage that training process as well um, gave me kind of good insight into, into managing the training process for an athlete or for a group of guys. So I kind of had all the, the zoom levels throughout. So I just had a deeper understanding of when to zig and when to zag, or like we were talking about before, when to hit the gas, when to hit the brakes, and when to coast. Because, um, I, you know, so many uh, people I come across with, you know, they're like, oh, you know, I was an exercise phys major and this and that. And, I, you know, if anybody asked me to, to, to put a budget together on Excel, I'm going to look at them like they have three heads. I'm like, sorry, man, I can't help you with that. But like, oh, GPS data, I got you. Here, do this or this or look at this. Um, so really, that's kind of, all I know in, in that, that aspect is anything, you know, sports science related. Um, it's not coming from a computer science background or statistics background. It comes from coaching. 
and wanting to be a better coach and and how do I confirm an intuition right how do I you know how do I have some checks and balances to this um, and to be sure that I'm getting better um, not just with my communication my coaching ability but with the programming and, and the planning and all the x's and o's that, that, that go into it because um, you know ignition it was a unique place because like I said I, I worked with a uh, pro boxer uh, worked with uh, pro athletes, high school athletes, college athletes. I would go consult for different colleges. There was a lot going on. We had a lot of different groups, um, athletes of all developmental levels of all different sports. Um, so it becomes kind of tricky to, to manage that for all different. They all have different needs, all different seasons. Um, so that's where you know a lot of the, the sports science and the technology that we use kind of um, help help kind of segregate those and help identify. Um, you know, where to go, where, where to, where the blueprint should point for this group, for this group, for this individual. And you mentioned, so you started off with training that professional, uh, the professional fighter and, but then you got into training the football world and you're using hand fighting. Like it's a, um, like you're talking about hand fighting, like it's something common, but like, there's not very many programs that are implementing hand fighting, like, or doing any of this. How did you first go about, was it an epiphany moment? Like, oh, like these guys should obviously be doing like everything that we're doing over here because it's also a combat sport. Like, yeah. how did you go about implementing that day one or like into your strength conditioning program to where it's like accepted, but it's also like, it, it's not something that's con as, 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 as obvious as it should be. Like we should be doing grappling and some sort of combat prep yep. um, for these combat athletes. Like they are combat athletes. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's not common at all as if you go to any any training program they're almost never doing any of it unless it's on the practice field and even then it, it's just kind of punching bags and stuff uh, exactly. how did you like have that epiphany moment like I, like we should obviously be doing some of this so that's a that's a great question and i absolutely had it was a, a light bulb epiphany moment i was um uh connor barwin um uh, graduated from university of cincinnati played with the texans and eagles for a while one of their edge guys um, we always had, uh, during our combine training, we had, uh, we boxed on Fridays. It was kind of just our fun day. You know, I'd get the, the pads out, we wrap our hands up and it was just boxing. And then one day Connor was like, Hey, put, put both mitts out, out like that. And then he had his boxing gloves on. He was like, whack. And then boom, light bulb went off. I'm like, that's, that's what's missing because what I would see in, in practices down with the Bengals, right? You see the, the, the big pads you put on, right? I mean, those, nothing against it. That's fine, but it's very limiting, right? It's like a heavy bag for a boxer, right? It's okay to work technique, but there's no punches getting thrown at you. There's no understanding of time and space. Um, it's just basically wailing on it. And if nobody's really looking and coaching on my technique, I could just get all sloppy and feel good about it, but not really have any feedback about that. So what I, I saw is that, you know, it's so limited for O-line, D-line to actually work the art of combat outside of practice. Receivers, quarterbacks, they could throw football catch all year round. They could just go indoors and do it. For O-line, D-line, it was not realistic for them to do like one-on-ones in the offseason. You never see that. Like those guys, they just lift weights. And then they wait till training camp or spring or whatever. Then they get a few reps in a practice, maybe two to three one-on-one -on -one reps, maybe a couple, actually two true pass rush uh, reps in team. And then they got to play 70 snaps on, you know, Saturday or Sunday. So I'm like, there's a gap. There's a gap there. Plus the specificity of how it was delivered. I felt like there was a gap. So for example, like the, the pop-up dummies, right. That was kind of like, I saw that as like uh, the heavy bag for a boxer. Right. Then I saw the 
small sided games are the one on ones. Okay. Well, that's kind of like sparring, but then there's a big gap that's missing here in between. Okay. Now, how do they sharpen that? Like, because they're not really getting feedback because guys can wind up and club a dummy, but like one that's, that's an immovable object. Nobody's just going to stand there and play. So there's no negative movement. There's no positive movement. There's no angle of attack. There's no guy short setting you, you know, there was no guy giving that Trent William kind of hybrid short set. There's no guy shooting his outside arm. Or even if they do, it's those things that your arm's kind of stuck like that. Okay, well, that's great. Now you can move your lower body, but your upper body is like Frankenstein, okay? Like nobody's going to rush against Frankenstein, right? My hands are going to be in here, then I'm going to shoot it. So there's this understanding of time and space. And so all of that kind of training the fighter, being around the Bengals practices, I was able to kind of pick up the what I felt were the gaps in that skill development for guys in the trenches. And then I'd even go to as far then the same thing with receivers, um, you know, linebackers, right? Anytime you have to go around someone, especially for a receiver, not interrupt that, disrupt that timing between you and the quarterback, right? You need to know how to use your hands as weapons. You know, A.J. Green was a guy I worked with a, a lot with, and it was really cool to see him progress through his career where, like, kind of early on, you would see DBs kind of get up, play him, they jam him, they get a little more handsy. But then they would learn, of like, once he gets those, those, those hands on you, it's a wrap, right? he's going to make his moves stacky and he's off to the races. Right. So then they started playing off of them or, or, you know, bring another guy up higher um, because they didn't want to put them hands on because he'd use it against them. So I saw even how important that was for a receiver. So yeah, it was that Connor Barwin moment that kind of initiated that. And so I just, from there became a, a student of the game, knowing that like, okay, you know, I can't speak to them from, from my experiences. Right. Like I told them I, I have zero recorded NCAA or NFL sacks, you know, I'm 180 pounds soaking wet, you know, um, you know, not barely, not even six feet, right. Fire 11. Like I'm, you know, I'm not rushing against any, anybody, but I, I can provide a perspective. Um, I worked with, um, you know, been very fortunate at, at a young age to work with a lot of high level athletes. So, you know, there's guys like that, Connor Barwin and, and Luke Keekley was another guy that came work with us in the off season and AJ Green and, Carlos Dunlap and Carl Lawson and Geno Adkins and all these guys where I could bounce this stuff off of like, Hey man, what do you think about this? Or what do you, when this happens, what do you do? And so, you know, I, like another Bruce Lee quote, right? Um, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, add what's uniquely your own. So really I got to give the, the pro guys the credit for kind of making that program because they would kind of validate for me, like, hey, that's good stuff. It's like, you know what, that one I didn't, you know, we don't really use as much. Like, for, for example, we used to, um, I brought a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy with me one summer to work with the Bengals, and we do a lot of pummeling, right? Um, well, Domino Pecco, he had, after they had some feedback, he's like, you know, it's cool. He's like, but really, once you get that kind of body-to-body with an O-line, like, it's a wrap. Because those dudes are so strong, they're just going to grab on. If you get chest-to-chest, play is over. I'm like, okay, well, that's great. Okay. We'll throw that out. We're not going to do the pummeling anymore. Let's, let's, okay, let's work on maybe separation. So we're not getting into that body to body type of zone. Um, so just that, that as an example, they would really help formulate the program. I would just connect those dots and help deliver it for them and then continue my education of watching film and giving real life examples. So like I got thousands of, of videos I, on here um, to try to, you know, illustrate the movement. I'm like, okay, I'm going to let me show you. Let's do this drill. Now look at, Dwight Freeney do it, right? Look at, you know, Strahan. This is what it actually should look like in a game. So I have a, a real model, a real technical model. And then we have basically all their strengths and weaknesses, right? 
because not everybody's going to rush like a Dwight Freeney. He had certain leverages and, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, body structure that, that gave him that, that ability to, to do certain things. But what can we adopt from that and plug in for you? And what are your strengths and weaknesses? And then how do we use your hand as a weapon, right? How do we use this as a four-edged sword? How do we, how do we create a chess game instead of a checkers game? And then how do we scout our opponent? How do we know more about our opponent than they know about themselves? So it, it just kind of, it all snowballed from there. So year after year, just, just a lot of time watching NFL game film and a lot of time just bouncing ideas off of guys, a lot of time drilling it with guys. Um, and then, you know, it just becomes sharper and sharper through the process. There's so much of that that I love. I, I, you talked about how, like, in the offseason, all QBs, like, they're all running routes and doing that. And, um, like, everybody kind of has that option just to do, like, kind of bridge that gap where you're not doing a full-on practice. Um, and maybe even, like, in the best, like, wide receivers, um, QBs, like, at least they can do some sort of small-sided games or, like, 3v3s, all of that. But you're talking about O-line, D-line. There's not a ton of that. There's nothing working there. Um, and when you, you mentioned that, that, that really clicked, it's also like the, the kind of the, for me, it's like the tissue prep aspect of it too. It's 100%. like the, your hands, shoulders, fingers, elbows, like they're all required to do a bunch of this grappling combat type moves. And, yeah. uh, all you can do like all in a typical program we're doing is bench pressing and dumbbells and maybe some pull-ups, hope that maybe some crawl, hopefully some, some sort of bodyweight stuff. But a lot of it is kind of just just so different from the aspects that 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 the sport kind of demands and like you said uh then you get two weeks of like fall camp and then you're into a full season and even the two weeks of fall camp that's where you see a ton of injuries in it because you have this it doesn't matter how much they prep with this the the demand of the sport is so much different and like you said there's there's no bridge the gap for any of that tissue prep you're right and there's and and you you teed it up for me too is like we call it i just you got sharpen your weapons for battle you know, you got to callous these babies up because you don't want the first time you strike a dude in his chest to be on that game, right? You need to callous these up. You need to do that over and over um, in, a, in a specific way. So that way, you know, that timing aspect is there at the jump. It's not something you have to learn and adjust to. And then, okay, end of camp, midseason, okay, now I'm kind of getting my stride. Like, no, we need your stride game one, you know, practice one. So let's build up these reps. Let's build this volume. Let's, let's, let's callous those, those weapons for battle um you know so you can use them appropriately right and you said it too like uh you know receivers quarterbacks that's something that's repeatable right it's easy to catch a ball and throw right they can do that a thousand times right o-line d-line doing one-on-one is not necessarily repeatable you know what i mean there's an inherent risk to that there's a lot of competition big strong dudes just the physics there right there's going to be inherent risk but so how another part of of the hand fighting program was was thinking about how can i make these drills repeatable Right. How can I do this um, where, OK, he, he needs to hit this swipe move. He needs a cross shot move. How do we hit this 100 times today without him actually doing 100 get off and the tackle doing 100 kicks? And you know what I mean? But I want the technique to be specific. I still want the timing and the precision part to be there. Right. And I want the movement there because the hand part is great. But if you just work in your hands and your feet aren't getting you from A to B, then and it's worthless. Right. Like if I'm in a big crowded jungle and I got a machete, okay, well, I need to clear the path, but then I'm not going anywhere. So I I continue to need to walk from A to B as I'm clearing that path, as I'm disassociating what I'm doing with my upper body. So it's, it's vitally important to, to address where that lower body is. Right. And how we set that up and how to sense when you're in their striking range, when to throw that attack, when to throw that counter. Um, so those small things like that and the little flow drills that, that we do so we can 
we can actually get those, you know, 10,000 reps or whatever that, you know, magic number is where it's more of an upgrade for the, to their software without a damage on the hardware. Yeah. And I, I love that aspect too, because it's like, if you, if you go to a typical American football practice, like you could do this for five to 10 minutes for the warm up instead of like what's typically done. It's, it, it, this is something that like, I, I was just watching some of your stuff. I'm like, wow, like this should just, this should just be your warm up rather than some of the bag drills that I, I like, I was an old D like I, I played defense line. I coached defense line and you just see some of the stuff is like, that's just kept in there because it's been kept in there. And it's like all of this warm up stuff could be repeated with this. And you talked about like your stuff is repeatable, which is awesome. But another thing that I see is like, it's almost scalable. So we're like, you, you can do some of this, uh, repeatable stuff where you're getting the thousands of reps in and it's kind of low scale and then you can ramp that up and kind of scale it to something that is a little bit more high scale and you can use that like that make use of your indie time like that's something that i see with all of yeah. your stuff is like we're actually being um being useful with our indie time rather than just wasting it because we were given like four periods of practice to have an indie time and now we're running over bags and doing random stuff it's like why aren't we scaling and like working on skills that we actually want to see on the field which i think you do a really nice job of after, I appreciate that. And it, it kind of um, naturally kind of formed into that. Like, you know, by doing it with the Bengals, first they had this, you know, off-season elective where there's like a 30-minute period where, um, I mean, there was one year I had the entire defense all at once just by myself in a 30-minute period. But I found out it was most useful for these little five to 10 minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes pops. You can fit that all throughout the day, Right. So it's not because, you know, I can't ask the coaches like, hey, can you cut your meeting short so I can do hand fighting? You know, that's not realistic. Like, okay, coach, we're going to stop lifting so I can go do hand fighting. No, I had to kind of uh, navigate around the schedule that was already built in instead of like demand a block of time. Like, no, I can work with whatever. So it's like for you said it right now. Like there's a lot of guys right now I work with during the special teams, right? If they're not in special teams, hey, we're off on the side. We're, we're drilling, right? We're working some things that are specific from what I saw on one-on-one. Same thing with just, you know, 15 minutes before walkthrough or like right after practice or, you know, during the winter or summer, like right after the lift. So whatever little sliver in the day, we can fit this in because the three biggest things were to me that these guys acquire these skills. It has to be brief. It has to be frequent and it has to be focused. Right. So short and sweet. I got their attention. All right. Especially in this culture and football, we know they probably don't have the longest attention span. Um, you know, it's got to be focused, right? I want the, uh, so I keep it short. I got to keep it focused, but I want this throughout the week, right? It's not just one time, 15 minutes and, and you're done for next week. We're going to hit it three or four times a day, you know, in season, we're going to hit it, you know, two to three times during the week, right? So it's, it's important that we maintain that hit every single time. So they have that fresh in their head, um, you know, short, sweet to the point, but it, and it's not disrupting anything else they have to do with getting to this meeting or getting to this practice. Um, but it's constantly reinforced. Like we even did a thing. Well, we kind of do a game now. Like anytime a D lineman walks by me, like I, I try to, I try to punch him in the chest. Face. Now, like I'm not really like trying to punch him, but basically put my hand on him. And our rule is like, all right, you got, you can't have anything in your hands, right? Not carrying a drink or food. And you have to be in my peripheral. <laughs> I've had guys like walk up from behind me before, like, oh, I got you, coach. Want to know? I'm like, no, that's not the rules, man. <laughs> and so, you know, if I, if I get them, right, there's a delay and they don't clear my hands. All right. All right. That's, that's one to nothing. You know what I mean? It's not like that anything that happened to that, but nobody wants to lose. Um, but, you know, that's one part. And then through the spring, what, what I just did this year, oh, I, I had in my old office, but um, we did kind of a pass rush certification, right? So if uh, all the guys showed up, 
X amount of times. Um, I think we offered it every single day that basically I give them their, their black belt for pass rush. And then in the season now, what I add, I give them a stripe for every sack they get. And then on the left side, I give them a stripe for every uh, TFL uh, quarterback hurry uh, force fumble or PD. So now like, you know, they can, they have some meaning, you know, behind that black belt, right. It's all striped up with these eight stripes. I got eight sacks this season. I got, you know, you know, 12 TFLs or whatever. So, um, you know, they can have that and keep it and, and, you know, years to come. So guys kind of progress through our, our program and that belt, you know, going to look like a candy cane um, after a while, but um, it's just a kind of another way just to get that fighter's mindset in them and to keep that fresh and really try to build a culture around uh, hand fighting and, and, and the importance of it. Yeah, I was going to say the culture and the gamification aspect of it is so important, uh, especially when you you were talking about that focus and like intent that you need behind it. Like uh, we know, like one of the best ways to get focus and intent is to gamify and then give purpose to something. So that's awesome. I you, I think I, you've mentioned it a couple of times. I just want to make sure I heard you right. You're talking about your hand being a four edged sword. Could you yeah. could you describe what what you mean by that? Yeah. So just um you know just like in jujitsu, right? So there's 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 chokes and strangles. Um, and those what what those happen from the knife edge, right? So basically, you got your your flat edge and a knife edge, right? So now I got essentially four four edges to it. So right, I got my natural, you know, I got everything from here, right? Forms. This is all be a weapon, right? So this hitting somebody, slapping somebody's hand down, right, is fine. It can it can be effective, and I'm saying it won't work, but it might make their skin sting a little. Where if you strike that with the knife edge, right, it's gonna create a contusion that guy's not going to want to put his hands on you anymore. So when that happens, I start pulling back. That opens up another part of that game for you. Okay. Now, you, you know, you open up power or whatever that may be. So I use that four edge sword analogy. One, just to, just to teach him about where the knife edge and how to strike. Um, but also just even the hand, right? The heel of the palm, right? How I can and grip and grab and lift, but I don't always need to like necessarily catch it like that. Right. If I'm parrying something, I, I use, you know, boxing terminology is right. A parry is just a redirection of force. I already got to get this way. So there's no sense of me kind of grabbing and gripping to release, right? Where I can keep my thumb in, um, take away that risk of like hurting or jamming my thumb. I can parry with it with the close thumb or with the knife edge. Um, or there might be a time where I want to want to have this separation kind of east and west with the finger and thumb for those lift drills. And then I can add that vice grip um, as well as a wrist I can hook over and I can hook under. Right. So, you know, the way God made our arms, there, there's all kinds of natural levers and hooks and sharp edges and blunt edges and soft parts of, of a human body. So, like, how do we use this as a weapon? So we, we go through basically like, you know, if you're learning a, a martial art, you get your white belt. Right. Or you're learning boxing. You're going to learn what a jab is. And then you'll learn like where the uh, cross is or two and then a, then a hook and then an uppercut and all that same type of thing. All right. This is a stab. This is a swipe. This is a club. All right. This is an arm over. This is arm under. Right. This is a lift. We have kind of these 20 essential movements and techniques for them that kind of uh, help guys understand how to use their hands as weapons and how to use that four edge sword. So it's not just kind of arms going crazy flailing, just trying to use, you know, force and power that which probably got into this point um, and got them through high school. Because, you know, let's be honest, like, you know, you can outsize and outstrength a lot of people through high school and even, even in college um, in, in some regards, but it catches up you really quick because, you know, these days, these offensive linemen, I mean, there's some of the smartest guys out on the football field and they're wanting to play chess too, not like checkers. 
And so we got to constantly stay a step ahead of them. And, um, you know, just, we got, we got to be experts, right. You know, it's like, like boxing and martial arts, it's high level problem solving with dire physical consequences, right? So all the more reason to pay this focus and attention on how to use our hands as, as, as weapons, right? You know, it's, it's just going to have more success when you do that, when you put yourself in that mind frame. Yeah, th this philosophy of mastering your art is something that I'm really like geeking out about that you have, like you, you are a master of your craft, like, and that that's what you've perfected. You have all these details, like these minute details you talked about before we even started recording, like studying the one on ones, and then studying your specific opponent and knowing your opponent more than like he knows himself and understanding the setting up pass rush moves based off of that. And while that might be very common at the super high NFL levels, and even then, though, like I know, a lot, I know NFL athletes that do like they don't they don't like that is not how they see the game and, and they don't approach mm -hmm. it in the philosophy of mastering your art they approach it in the like philosophy of more outputs force and power why do you think that is and and that the the nfl world and the, the football world honestly like they're masters at the tactical side of things too like schemes like scheming mm -hmm. up stuff like that that's something that i think coaches are phenomenal at uh and strength coaches are phenomenal at the the force and power and the physical aspect of it but where i really see the biggest missing link is this like mastery of your art, like this mastery of the technical side of your sport. Why do you think that is such a missing link in American football? And honestly, a lot of team sports, you don't, you don't see it. Like you don't see a lot of math, maybe baseball is another one where I can think where you hear a really mm -hmm. good hitter. You talk, you hear him talk. He talks like you're talking about the hands. It's like, I think it was Barry Bonds. I was listening, watching, he was talking about where he stands, what he does with his hands, his focus. I was like, man, that's an absolute expert. And I'm hearing the same thing with you talk about these pass rushes. Why do you think it's such a missed kind of link in the in this uh in this sport well you know that's a good question and you know my opinion is is i think traditionally you know there is so many variables in football you know and as a d-line coach or an ed co edge coach which we have amazing coaches here that do great with with, with teaching you know all these techniques you know they kind of use me as an extension of them um so they can then focus on the tactical side on the x's and o's right um but there's just there's so much going on right so much change in your roster so much different schemes the game plan and keeping these guys healthy like the the hand fighting is just one part one little little piece of the puzzle there where to to dive as deep as i've i've done spent you know well over a decade putting into it that would if the coach did that that would take away from their other coaching ability you know because there, there's give and take there's not necessarily time in the day um to do that so i've maybe could be one reason why why it's gotten there um as well as just as perspective too you know traditionally football coaches are ex-players and ex -play they know what they know which is playing the game of football which you know from before it just repeats itself over and over and there's there's yet to be a lot more guys like me to come in with a um a different you know knowledge base or different perspective to to teach it in a different light you know because I, I i'm coming from a completely different background so i just a lot of it is just providing a fresh expect, uh, perspective, and getting these guys to you know look at themselves or think of themselves as uh, fighters, right? Like we were saying before, you know, you know, championship boxing has you know twelve three minute rounds. Well, in the NFL, you're going to have seventy five second rounds, right? Short and sweet. So all the more reason to sharpen those weapons for battle. Um, and now your coach has so many other responsibilities to do. Um, you know, I can I can. That's that's a reason why too is I I saw that gap in that development. I'm like, you know what? No one's really putting a bunch of emphasis on that. Like, why not? To me, and I'm I'm with you. It's like this should be a fundamental component 
of peewee football, of middle school football. You know, it's like you know, I get guys in college, even NFL guys have never done any drills or anything like this. And then just light ball goes off. Like, man, I was just throwing my hands around. I just, just bull rush and threw them out of the way. But like, I never thought about that or that. Um, and, and, and it's just a lot of it's just trying to get them to think um, at a little bit higher level and to, um, you know, that think of themselves higher too, right? Like you are, you are way more than just a bull rush guy. You can do this and this, right. And you can use it, your hands as this. And what's cool about the hand fighting part is it can be that X factor because maybe you're not the biggest and strongest and fastest guy, but like in martial arts, right. Technique can make up for that. Right. If you, you have the better timing and precision, right. Then, then it's not going to matter as much. Right. So timing, um, beats speed precision beats power. But when you get in the NFL, when timing has speed and precision has power, nothing beats it. <laughs> yeah, that that that's freaking amazing. That that that's something that I I I want to kind of really dive into. Really get a lot of the strength coaches kind of going in. So we 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 do a lot of like we implement a lot of this grappling aspect in in some of these pieces. One of the really things I like doing is um we don't have uh, MMA fighters yet, but we we have a lot of wrestlers. But even that conversations when wrestlers are talking to our wrestlers talk to our rugby guys and our rugby guys are talking to wrestlers and uh, football guys. So you kind of have the three different kind of combat sport aspects. And I, I really geek out about that. And they're, they're like doing some moves on each other and they're just talking about some things, but that, that, that really like that, that art piece of it is something that's super big and really getting athletes. Like, I think you said, you talked about like not just being the pass rush guy, or at least just thinking more of it, that, that, that's the thing that I, I love that you're talking about. You like, you're creating a culture around mastering the art. And then it's like, at that point, it's almost like you're, you, you don't as long as you're exposing these athletes like these athletes want to be great like these these right. athletes want to be great so as long as they're exposed to this is what this can lead to uh, it, it's not like they don't want to do it they, they, like it's like okay like i can understand there's a different aspect there's a different approach but a lot of athletes just are not exposed to it at all and are kind of just stuck into uh we need to squat more and we need to bench more which is a part of it but again like you're, you're kind of just chasing chasing the, the rabbit of something that everybody is doing so unless you're ab mm -hmm. the absolute biggest and the absolute strongest that's really not going to give you that step ahead that this stuff can exactly exactly you know we get spend so much time chasing numbers where you know at the end of the day squatting 450 versus 500 is that is that going to make the difference uh you know between making that play or not i, mean, I don't know maybe maybe it will I argue probably not, you know, like that to a certain point you can, you know, you can never mimic the, you know, the game, but you can try to get close to it and you can try to attempt to get close to it. Um, and just like you said, you can try to get these guys to kind of think of, think of, think of pass rush at a little bit higher level. Think of it as a more advanced type of subject as opposed to just checkers like, Oh, I just need to do this or that. Like, no, it's, it's, it's how you set up. Right. If it's like when, when they move first, you move first. Meaning like I'm, they moved there because I made them move there. I listened to that. I made them uh, have that response, right? Because I made this step or this faint or I, I, cause I set up this move. Even when I talk to guys about, you know, their, their reps. Okay. You, you third and long, you had this rep, well, I didn't get a sack, but what move did you do on that offensive alignment? And then he's thinking about that move. So you got to think of a different way. Like, okay, you, you, you establish that speed to power look on him that's a win right so now he's got that in his brain of like dang he got me on my heels like no it wasn't a sack no other stats came from it but that's a win because you know what i mean it's just like in boxing where it's like we're feeling each other out all of a sudden pop boom the guy eats a jab right 
it's not going to win me the fight, but now I got the, in the guy's head. It's like, okay, I can jab him where he can't jab me. You know what I mean? So now that's a win. So now I can use that tactic to kind of play other things off of, to feint the jab, to come with the right hand or whatever. It was to feint that speed, the power move in out and then go back outside, um, whatever it is. Right. So that's really where it becomes chess to, to think about not just the reps where you get sacks, but the reps where you establish a move and you get in that offensive lineman's head. And thinking about it in the way that you mentioned at the start is like, it is 70 different battles of five seconds. You know, like if you can go into a game like that, like, okay, I got 70 of these, like not every single one is going to be the win and not every single one is going to be that knockout punch. Um, But you can set it up in a different way rather than trying to approach it in like 70 knockout punches and then like not getting any of them. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, come on, you get two sacks in a game out of 70. Like that's a great game. That's a great game. Yeah. Two out <laughs> You're of get 70. paid a lot of you money know, there. Two, Two success out of 70. Hey, make you money for generations, right? You change your whole family like that. Yeah. So, I mean, all the more important is like, hey, man, you got 70 tried. Now, again, not of all like true pass rush looks and third and longs, but it just goes to the importance to like be ready when that time comes because you never know when this guy goes down and you got to go up and taking that rep in fourth quarter, 20 seconds left, third and long. We need a sack. And all of a sudden your number's getting called. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, you better be ready. So that's the, you know, that's the whole kind of premise we, we build in behind all this volume and all this reps of repeating these, these drills. So now it should be unconscious. Like I tell them, like, do not think about the, the, the technique of the move when you do it in the game, right? That should be reflexive and unconscious. That already should be marinated in your blood, right? That's part of your DNA now. All right. Now, like early on, we're, we're thinking about it and we're visualizing things and we're actually kind of seeing where the placing is, where the precision, talking about the timing. But, you know, down the road, you, you I got to uh, eventually periodize my coaching and kind of step back and let the athlete take over. And then I just kind of help really kind of tee up like, hey, what'd you see there? Or like, what look is he giving you? What was your If I knew if it was like a you know, position issue or an angle. Right. What was your alarm? Do you have inside foot up, outside foot up? Why did you choose that? So I really try to get them to answer for me instead of like, hey, do this and this. Like I want them to think about it, talk about it, and then come up with the answer. So even if I know what it was, right, I'm going to make the athlete tell it to me. Yeah, like a real teacher and coach should. So that, that that's, that's pretty awesome, trying to not create robots out there, which you, you see a lot in the American football world. But one of the things you said earlier, just a little bit ago, is like we talk about not chasing the numbers. Um, but then we again, we talked again at the beginning is like you're you are the the head of sports science at your <laughs> college. So we are we, we we do have that number aspect of it. Can you talk to me about the importance of the numbers? What what you're doing with them? First of all, what you're tracking, what you think should be tracked, um, kind of what you're doing with these numbers uh, and how you're tying it into to the practices, to the to the stops and goes of like what you talked about at the beginning of the podcast going through. But kind of that sports science part of your expertise because that is that is a part big part of your expertise um rolling through absolutely and and by by saying you're not chasing numbers i'm more referring to to optimizing versus maximizing right if i maximize something that's that's powerlifting right i want to squat as much as i possibly can the higher the number the better um or like, you know, a hundred meter sprint, right? I want to maximize my linear speed to be faster than a hundred meters, right? So it doesn't matter if it's the cost of everything else because that's what, what I'm being measured on. But that the human body and there's, doesn't really work like that with, with football because there's so many 
variables. If I maximize one quality, well, it's, it's at the cost of another. So the biggest thing is to optimize, right? What, what buckets do I need full? What buckets do I need half full, you know, for each guy, for each position? Um, so how do I optimize those, those, those qualities instead of just chasing, uh, the, the more, more is better, you know, harder is better, you know, um, also at the same time, I don't want to be that, to give that, that name to all the other sports scientists out there where we're just trying to pull guys back, you know, I, I hear that a lot. We're always, oh, this guy needs rest. We need to pull back. And he goes too much, too much load, pull him back, pull him back. Really like not in the, the sale. I mean, if it, yeah, if it's, if it's, um, you know, noteworthy or if, if they need to do that. But a lot of times it's more of like, Hey, this guy needs to go more. This guy's not getting enough. He needs to be touched on this speed. You know, we need to make sure these, these, these threes get some reps because when one guy goes down, look, what, look what happened. Right. We got, uh, you know, that this positional group had this much load, but the distribution of that load, you know, 80% of it just came from two guys. You know what I mean? The other guys hardly got any reps. Right. So how are we, how do we optimizing this one to kind of, build a robust chronic training load for those um, whether the scout guys or, or the, the, um, the threes or twos or threes that, that could be, uh, could, could uh, encounter a spike in training load. If, if someone goes down or if they have to come in there and take those reps or, you know, get some game reps, whatever that may be. Um, and then, so how do we optimize that? Right. And then I, I kind of break, there's so many metrics right now, like, you know, with, with all the GPS technologies, um, you can easily get lost in the sauce, right? You can get drowned out by the noise of like, oh, there's like 50 different things. Do I look like running imbalance or this velocity band is an absolute threshold or relative threshold. So I try to weed out the noise, especially like first year coming in here and um, with coaches, like I would rather err on the side of just reporting less things really well to hit home with them as opposed to giving this big elaborate report where there's all these metrics where, they don't even know what this one and this one means. And I have to write out a definition of what that metric is. Well, high metabolic load is this and this plus excels and decels over three meters a second. Like what? Like I'm not speaking coach right now. I, I need to be bilingual as well. Right. I could speak to uh, some other guys like that, some other guys on my staff, and they might understand what I'm talking about, but I got to be sure that I speak that language as well. So I kind of break all the metrics down on the, on four main categories. One, uh, volume, um, you know, total distance, right? Total duration. How much time on our feet have our big guys, these 300 pound guys? Because in training camp, I know what I feel like I, I haven't sprinted one yard, but bottom of my feet, bottom of my low back is killing me because I was standing there for three hours. Imagine if I was 350 pounds doing that. Well, no wonder we have some postural type of, you know, overuse. And, um, so, you know, volume, right? The, the total, you know, even if it's in a certain band, right? Total high speed distance. Uh, overall total yardage, total uh, duration of the practice or the amount of the time we were just on our feet. Um, then I'll look at other metrics. I want to see the intensity. Um, so intensity, um, look at like, you know, max speed, right? How many, how many sprints, um, how many excels and decels, right? How much city miles did they get versus highway miles, right? Highway miles on our car, right? If you buy a new car, they're like, Oh, it's got a hundred thousand, but they're all, high, all highway miles, right? Highway, well, then that's not as bad because on a highway, it's just, you're not all that stop and go. It's not as rough on your brakes and your transmission, right? But maybe you got to check, check the tread of those tires, right? There could be still some overuse from highway miles. City miles, right? Smaller spaces, more change of direction, more collisions, more excels and decels, more eccentric load um, on the joints, um, more tension in the body, right? 
makes a little bit more time to recover from. So that's how I kind of, you know, you know, illustrate it to, or not illustrate it, but explain it to some of our other coaches between highway miles, city miles. Like today was more of a city mile day. Today was a more highway mile. Um, and then we look at um, density. So how many yards per minute, right? So how many reps or how much volume did they accumulate per minute of practice? Um, or per unit, whatever, right? How many for these running backs how, or linebackers, how many excels per minute did they get? Or even the game, what was this much per, per snap? Um, so how dense was the session? How much work and how much rest were they, were they getting in that, right? And how close was that to the game? And then um, contacts, right? So collisions, impacts, right? What was the G-force sustained for this guy, right? How much lineman contacts did this guy have? Is that something we want? Um, on a Thursday, you know, when we're playing Saturday, or is that something we want to see those higher numbers on a Tuesday? So we have that time to, you know, to recover. Um, and is that, that's something necessary. We don't want to see a game all the way throughout the week. So a lot of these, those four categories, volume, intensity, density, contact, um, I'll kind of look at individual thresholds. So I'll kind of, you know, normalize all that every, practice that they have in season right i'll compare to that same practice type so a game day minus one right is compared to other game day minus one or a tuesday practice to a tuesday wednesday to wednesday so instead of saying like oh that was a really hard practice i could say that was a really hard tuesday practice you know so it's, it's way more relative and then so then in each individual you know we kind of normalize that with 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 a t-score right so i can show oh well for for these, these wide receivers, for, for this guy, it was, it was a push day, right? He went a little bit over what he's typically used to on this practice day. But for these guys, they're like, they're in blue. They were kind of way under what their norm is on a Tuesday. And why is that? Well, this guy got more reps or this guy, whatever, for whatever reason, right? So I can see individual thresholds that's relative to that practice type and that, that metric, that athlete, um, as well as I like to see things, you know, now that we've, we've accumulated some games um, that we can, we start having a game average, all right? So the major contributors of that game, what is, what, what's, what does the game require from our running backs with our scheme, all right? With our, with our defensive scheme, with our plays, with our guys, what, is it, what, what does the game require for those four, four buckets of metrics? And then I, then I kind of just use that as a visual throughout, right? So if you see the week, right? And then I can easily say coaches like, whether, you know, a hundred, today's practice was 120% of the game or man, he hit, you know, 1.2 games worth of volume today or by the end of the week before the game, you know, we, we've accumulated about two and a half games, right. Which is, which is it's kind of an area we kind of target. Right. I don't think it's an exact science, but you know, we don't want to see it like Friday, like this dude's already played eight games yeah. worth of high speed distance. And you think he's going to be fresh, you know, like the highest spike should come from the middle of the week that we should be working backwards from the game, right? Optimizing how sharp we are for that game. So, um, and then within those four different, um, you know, buckets, if you will, the volume, intensity, density, and contact, how do we periodize that through the practice? One, to kind of follow the biological and social rhythms of the athlete and their recovery, um, but also align with the, the, the physiology of getting them to be fresh, but then more importantly, too, of fitting in the schemes of, of the, the practice and how many periods they got to practice and making sure the coaches have these guys prepared uh, tactically and technically. So there's so much going on. There's so much to juggle 
Um, so I try to just weed out the noise as much as I can. Okay, these are the four buckets we're looking for. This is kind of how we, we, we compare it, right? This is what a game is. And so I can, oh, okay, well, I'm, man, I'm way over what's even needed on a game or we're way under what's needed in a game. Okay, that's good because we're wanting to taper a little bit. Or, okay, yeah, I wanted to be a little bit over a game because we're wanting to overreach a little. Um, so, yeah, just kind of a, a, kind of a long-winded would answer there. But, um, yeah, it's about optimizing those qualities, tracking it over time, and then trying to be proactive. I've never been big on injury prevention models because then it's like I got to sit back and wait and then get excited if, you know, oh, I was right. Like, no, like I'm going to try to get ahead of it and be proactive. I know a sudden spikes happen, right? Well, let's try to avoid that. Not to be like, hey, I told you so. I, I, you know, I'd say I was, my model said correctly that like, no, if I see something coming, right, I anticipate something, let's, let's not wait till it happens. Let's try to get ahead of it. Um, so it doesn't happen. Like, I don't care how accurate, I'd rather, rather be able to, to speak that now and, and be able to make an adjustment and a, an injury not happen as opposed to be, be right and be like, oh, I got a model. This is, I'm the one that said 500 yards is the, threshold that for everybody you know whatever it is right yeah i want to i want to get ahead of those things and have a good uh relationship with the coaches too so we're speaking the same language where they understand what i'm saying um and then you know like from the beginning too that i'm being as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove where i'm speaking this wisdom but i'm not stepping on their toes i'm not telling them how to design their practice um they're the experts there you know this is my perspective from an expert of physiologically this is what I think. What do you think? You know, and kind of like give it to them and just really have a dialogue about it. Now, how, like, cause some things are, aren't very as realistic. Like, Oh, well, everybody needs a day off. Like, <laughs> no, we're not going to take a day off. <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen. Um, but there can be little micro adjustments made, right? This is every, this whole big organization, like a big mixing board, right? Okay. Okay. Let's turn the volume down a little bit here, nudge it up here, you know, it's, yep. it's so much going on. It, 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 there's no exact science, a perfect thing to it. And I think if you think there is, then it, you're just going to be chasing nothing. You know, it, you're just going to be spinning the, the hamster wheel, um, you know, searching for the Holy Grail that's not even there. You know, to me, the Holy Grail isn't a number or a threshold or a marker. The Holy Grail lies in the heart of the athlete and, and digging into those deep waters, that deep well that really makes them tick and a listening things out of them that they didn't know were there. To me, that's what the Holy Grail is, not so much a, a, a number or a threshold or a way to report GPS metrics or whatever. Yeah, well, that's really fresh to hear from a, a sports science person because that, that was one of my questions, like how do you not get lost in those numbers? But that's exactly how you do it. And one of the things that like you continually, like you're, you're edging on is like all of the numbers are relevant to like your team, which is something I think is like super, like the mm -hmm. two, it's a hard Tuesday practice. Like for strength conditioning coaches, like they may not know, like that that's such a big difference because just a normal Tuesday to a Thursday practice, like they're massively different. So to be able to come to a coach and say, it's not just a hard, of course, they're just going to look at you, of course it's a hard, it's Tuesday. Like it's a hard practice. It's like to say it's a hard Tuesday, like that's small, but that's huge for a sport coach to hear like, okay, he's relating that in our sense of like, this is what a Tuesday looks like. He understands that this is a hard like step above it. Um, and I, I just thought that was super cool. And like, what does your game require? Because like, if the Ducks are going to play a different game than like uh, you guys, you know, so like, right. what does your game require? And how much volume are you getting compared to your game versus the offense and defense and positional players? I think that's all super important to relate to the sport coaches, because I, I hear all the time and I've seen it before firsthand is 
if you're not doing that, those numbers don't mean anything because they're not going to lead to any right. change. And like you said, like it, it's 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 just being able to relate it to the coach and like under like give the coach the power at the end because you'll see the sports science like they'll just write off uh, sport coaches as being idiots. Like I see that all the time too. It's like they're just yeah. idiots. They're just idiots. Like well, they're not. Like they're they're tactical experts. Like that they're, they're exactly. experts at their sport. They, of course, they don't have a degree in like physiology, so they don't understand maybe some of this. But the, even that, a lot of times, like their intuition is really good. But um, so to, like to call them idiots, like it's just going to create a divide of you two not communicating, which is not going to solve any of your issues. So I really, I really like your approach of going about relating those numbers to them so they feel like they still have the power which is important like the head mop like guy he need, like he wants that power it's his team and make sure he has that power not overstepping that boundary but being like hey we can and and not like saying like because you see that too it's like we got to pull everybody back we got to take the day off it's like no like it's much better just make that micro tweak and like slowly right. educate which i think is huge too not trying to throw everything at them but slowly educate make those micro tweaks and keep that relationship and like you said like not try to hit like this special number or try to be super specific or just give them a bunch of noise that doesn't mean anything to them exactly yeah and you said it too you know like um you know i i need to always check myself you know humble myself you know by going to them because you know they are the experts and i gotta i could learn a ton from that so like why not why wouldn't i try to learn you know from some of our coaches these guys are geniuses you know in in their regard in their in their field um which i think that's awesome you know so it's like let me let me learn how to speak that language and let me learn from them and just share this stuff. That's only going to help things, things more. Um, you know, I'd be like, how, how would you, okay. So coach, if we, let's say we emphasize this on this practice day, right. We can maybe do more, you know, I don't know. You tell me, but like, you know, red zone or the defense is backed up. Cause we're looking for maybe more excels, details, more change and more city miles. Right. What are, what are like certain periods that, that has that kind of smaller feet, whatever, you know what I mean? And then, Boom. Okay. You know, rattle them off and um, you just create that, that dialogue and, you know, really respect that their, their knowledge, um, you know, they're, you know, they're here for a reason and they have a, a, a salary, you know, way bigger than mine for a reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I, I should not be the one with the ego being like, Nope, this is how it's practice should go. You guys aren't listening to me. They're going to get hurt. Like, no, it needs to be a team. You know, we are all on this ship. This ship is all heading this direction and we all have our role on the ship. You know, so it is on me to do the best job with every skill set I've built to this day for, you know, almost 40 years of life, right, to help this ship continue in that same direction. If I'm not not helping go in the same direction, then throw me overboard. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And last last uh, last kind of subject of the podcast, and this is something that I'm just interested in personally, it seems like everybody's kind of leaving the college sector and everybody's going to the private sector and kind of taking the opposite route that you did where you started at that high school level to pro to the private. And now it's like, we're going back to the private or back to the college. And we're kind of going back against the wave of all like the new move of private sector coaches. What was that kind of like, what was that reasoning to return to college? And and what have been some of the lessons you've learned from bouncing back and forth between all these different, it seems like you have a, you, you've had a taste of kind of every different part of the strength conditioning field that you can have a taste in. Yeah, that's the, that's one really uh, unique thing, and that I love about you know my my journey is that you know at first like I I never thought I would I would be able to be a uh, football coach or I mean a you know strength condition coach for football, you know I, I always pictured you know you know Paul Longo Joe Ken right like I'm not big enough I'm not a power lifter like 
you know, I don't have a freaking sweet goatee and I don't look <laughs> as good in a cutoff shirt, you know. But then Chip Morton, one of my, my mentors and, and close friends today, he was the head strength coach for the Cincinnati Bengals for 16 years through, throughout Marvin's career. Um, still talk to him, you know, regularly. You know, he he's the one who told me he's wise as a serpent and says does, but he often told me, he's like, you know, Ben, it, being a coach is not fitting that mold, fitting that mold, being that guy, being the drill sergeant that's buff, right? Being uh, being a, What being a coach is what letting your – individuality uh what makes you you come out even louder right what makes you ben let that shine even louder right that's what's being a coach and that was the first time like i even i even heard that and i took with that and i rode with it and i mean it just served me well whereas like own what you know my, my background right like oh like hey man like yeah you're right like i, I never played college football i never played nfl football but this is what I do. This is what I can offer. And I'm confident in that. I know what I know, but I also know what I don't know. Right. That's what helped. That's what martial arts has always helped me. And you get a constant dose of humble pie. So, you know, no matter when you, even when I get that black belt, right. I go in feeling good, you know, the nice shiny black belt. I get freaking slammed again by my sensei. I'm like, oh, <laughs> there's levels to this thing. <laughs> I ain't that bad. You know, it's so, it, but so it's like with, with, with every little bit of humility, I gain a little bit of confidence. You know what I mean? So now I know what I know, but I know where my line is, right? I know I'm not the baddest dude in the world, right? <laughs> so to me, that's you got to have that constant relationship between humility and confidence. Um, so you, 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 you're constantly searching to try to get better at, at things, but you're also not um, discounting what, you're, what you are good at, right? What your skills and strengths are. are. You, you, you own those. You know, I, I, learned, I learned that a lot from my wife. Gave me a lot of really um, good lessons that helped me that is like, you know, be proud of what you're good at and own that. Um, there's nothing wrong. You know, it's the difference between cockiness and confidence. But there's nothing wrong about being confident about the gifts God's given you, you know. Um, now, being loud and, and, and cocky and, and trying to put other people down by, by telling them how superior you are, I, you know, that's where the line is. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I even forget where your question was. Sorry, I kind of went off on that on that tangent there. No, that 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 was perfect. It was talking. It's talking about returning to the college world and, and oh yeah, how you yeah, got yeah. There. So yeah, so um, so I I was I was able to experience all these you know the different Zoom levels, right? So from the, the, with the pros, right, working technique with hand fighting to zooming out in sports science and then managing data models for different high schools, even from, you know, remote at sometimes and um, just the aerial view of the training process. What I, I really learned is that like, and, and the, one of the best experiences I had was with the Bengals, because then after that, I realized, you know what, like that, that's what, not what I need to fulfill me. Like, that was awesome. Like, I would never forget the experience. Yeah, it's great. It's like, but like, I'd rather watch a game on the recliner with my daughters, you know, like there, that's not the epitome. I get just as much fulfillment out of working with this high school kid, you know, and, and watching him change and grow. And then, you know, watching these college kids turn into men. Um, so it's not about the level where I realize it's like, that's just, that was just my passion is, is um, to serve, you know, is to, to help, help these people get from point A to point B. You know, it's like even the true definition of what a coach is. A coach was that carriage that took someone from A to B. Um, so to me, that's what really hit home with me and understanding that there's, you know, so many more commonalities with people than there are differences, even with, with athletes and cultures and regards of where you live, where 
it doesn't matter where I go because I'm going to be passionate about working with whatever group I'm working with. You know, it's not like I'm going to be constantly looking over there at the grass is greener. I'm like, ah, man, I just wish I was in the NFL or I just wish I was with that power five school or, you know, what fulfills me is, is being a coach. Um, and I don't need anything else to validate that, that for me. I don't need a certain logo or a certain color to validate who I am as a coach and what I can offer. Um, cause I'm confident in what, when I know what I can bring. And so but what interests me a little about college too, is the, the amount of time I get to develop these guys, you know, cause you know, in the private sector you have, it was very cool because I did a lot of different things. Right. But I never, like, I would have guys, you know, the Bengals were different because that was kind of a loophole. I was able to work guys like AJ Green kind of year round, but for the most part, it was very seasonal, right? So you kind of see them this season and then a new group would come in this season or these guys, you'd only see these, these points during the year for six weeks or whatever. This was really appealing to me because like, man, I get like four years, well, you know, up to four years with some of these guys where you're working with them so much more often, like, I feel like I can just unleash like in a, in a team environment like this, like all the skills I have where, you know, it's great to, to be hired by coach um, Keithley too, because he, you know, he was kind of aware of different things I can bring to the table where it's not very uh, traditional in that regards of the strength coach or sports science or hand fighting. It's like, okay, these are my roles. It's like, Hey, I can, I can also add these things, right? Like, let me just, let me just give, like what what I've learned, right? Let me just share these things um, and kind of unleash it and be able to spend all this time and watch these guys grow at the time and do it at a high level as well. Um, so all that was was appealing to me, really just staying in the, in the sport, you know, and but being able to provide all my skill sets was 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 really important to me. Like I didn't want to be stuck in a cubicle crunching numbers, downloading GPS all day, right? Or I, you know, I didn't want to be just stuck in the weight room all day, you know, just racking weights and, and spotting guys for lifts and taking guys through, through lifts and stuff, which is, you know, obviously strength coaches do more than that. But um, I just love that thought of kind of being, um, had my hands in, in all those different Zoom levels. Yeah, the, the Bengal story really reminded me of like Naval's quote of like win the game to be able to leave the game. And then it's like being able to like have that perspective is is really, really cool to be like that. It's not what you needed and it wasn't the pinnacle. And I we, every high level coach I have on kind of kind of like and it started off, especially started a podcast like five years ago was the first thing that kind of pushed me towards the private sector um, just because it was um I was like on that D1 track. Like I'm going to do all this to be a D1 strength coach to do all this. And it, all of them were like. Uh, it's not like it doesn't matter. It's like it's coaching, you know, like they said yeah. the same, very similar thing that you said. And I was like, wow, that that that's kind of that's kind of cool. It's like it's just working with an athlete. It doesn't matter the level of the athlete. And sometimes it's it, it, it's more so the person in front of you, like an NFL athlete yeah. could be more of a pain in the ass than the 15 year old athlete that you want to work with. You know, it's yes. like it's that connection and who yes. you're working with. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's, I mean, you said it right there, too. It's It's, you know, it's not it's not the who or the where. But it's, it's it's the what and the how, you know, um, that 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 fulfills me, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm just I'm just just happy that I've been able to put in a position um, where I can offer these things and have these these opportunities. So um, yeah, I mean, there's great things in the private sector. I'm not necessarily one versus the other. I think there's there's pros and cons to to both. And like you said, it like, hey man, like I'm here. I just want to. I just want to help in any way I can. All right. 
you know, for science, okay, I got that covered, right? Strength condition, okay, I got that covered. Hand fighting, we're good, all right? Now, let, 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 let me rip, let, let it rip, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Well, coach, this this was free. I got like three pages of notes over here. I'm pretty pumped for this podcast. I just want to uh, thank you for your time and thank you for coming on. No, man, it's my pleasure. And yeah, thank you for reaching out and inviting me, man. It was really nice to, to talk to you and kind of share these things. And it's kind of crazy in season, but I, you know, I get these little nuggets through the week. So it, it is kind of the nice to kind of hit pause and reflect and talk to the guy like you, because it's easy to kind of get lost in the whirlwind of the weekly schedule and this practice and everything I got to be doing. So yeah, I appreciate you reaching out, man. It was an honor. Well, thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like subscribe and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.